0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, January 11th. I'm Gavin McGough. And
1: I'm Julia Caulfield.
0: In today's headlines, town strategizes snow removal.
1: A state of the town address.
0: Telluride discusses local ticket program for festivals.
1: And a mountain weather forecast.
0: When it rains, it pours. And when it snows, it comes in heaps. After a dry early season, the last week of December brought over a foot of snow to Telluride, blanketing not only the slopes, but also town streets and sidewalks. In an update before town council this week, Public Works Director Kyle Beck says the storm, coming at a moment of high tourist traffic, posed challenges for the snow removal team.
2: Uh, when it comes in that large amount, at such a short period of time, it does create some havoc on uh, the street maintenance department. We're a very small department, and when you have that big uh, that big storm we got where it all came during the holiday weekend, um, it's kind of the, the worst case uh, scenario you could have. You have these spring, the spring snow that occurred. It was very wet, got compacted right away. Um, it didn't take any vehicles to drive over it, it. It kind of set that initial ice layer on the street.
0: Beck says Public Works is addressing a number of snow-related issues, including rutting and ice buildup on Main Street, trucking snow out of the downtown core and getting residents to move their cars so streets can be cleared. Beck says if residents clearing their walkways can pile snow on lawns in green spaces rather than into the street, this would help tremendously.
2: Um, the key thing is just don't huck it out into the travelway and then just try to pile it even six inches from the curb base just to kind of free that up. And if at all possible, if they can actually clear the flow line, um, that's really the best practice to free that up so when water does melt, it actually has a straight path down to our, our infrastructure for our stormwater.
0: In the future, Beck hopes to rework the parking schedule to make street clearing more
2: efficient. My goal is to kind of reestablish the parking schedule, parking, uh, uh, the snow removal schedule, and a lot of it has to do with the existing signage that's out there and then looking towards a new concept That'll help uh, with efficiency for snow removal, as well as uh, operator efficiency of getting through town.
0: The Public Works team is currently short-staffed and has multiple job openings. Additionally, most current snow removal employees live out of town and commute in treacherous early morning conditions town manager Scott Robson says addressing those Staffing challenges and updating Public Works equipment will be a future budget priority
3: but certainly we'll be looking uh really hard at uh, next year's budget too on um, more equipment and uh, I think it goes without saying that trying to fill our equipment operator positions uh, given that we've we've only got five plus plus uh, Other folks like Lynn White and and Rich Estes uh, able and willing to drive, we've got, you know, there's kind of a tough combo right now of old equipment, shortage of staff, and and these guys trying to to build flexibility around the, the current scenarios.
0: Mayor Delaney Young says that while upgrades are coming, residents should continue to follow the parking rules as they are currently posted.
4: The map that is currently in place is the status quo for right now during the winter. So if you moved your car on Wednesday last year when it was plow day, you're moving your car on Wednesday this year for the time being. Just want to, because for people listening, just want to be clear.
0: Beck agreed that residents moving cars in a timely manner is essential to keeping the streets safe and clear of snow.
1: Mayor Delaney Young provided the first State of the Town Address for 2023 at Tuesday's Town Council meeting. The following is the address in its entirety.
4: This is the State of the Town Address for January 10th, 2023. We are creatures of habit. Whether it is your preference for coffee or tea, a specific brand of skis, being a night owl or an early riser, taking the alleys versus strolling down Main Street, we each have our own routine. These patterns become a part of who we are and in certain ways give us a sense of control over our own lives. When we are faced disruptions to those established norms, it can be quite uncomfortable. Yet change is inevitable. It is how we face those transitions which will determine the outcome and lay the groundwork for our future 2022 has come to a close and we have experienced a lot of change as we enter 2023 it is more important than ever that we collaborate and communicate more people will continue to have different opinions different desires different needs we will not agree on everything but we can find common ground and compromise to ensure the greatest good for the greatest number of people. I want to reflect on some of what we've accomplished this past year and express how those efforts will shape our progress in this new year and beyond. We welcomed new staff and created new positions to respond to the ever growing demands and needs of our residents and visitors, the town manager, public works director, several other positions within public works, finance, parks and recreation, and the marshals department were filled in 2022. The new titles of deputy town manager, human resources, coordinator, IT assistant, and communications manager were created to help existing staff manage workloads more effectively. Even with all of this obvious activity, we still face some crucial vacancies in key postings. There was an unprecedented number of housing-related discussions and meetings held by and attended by our THA subcommittee and staff to address our continued struggles with housing our local workforce. The town is currently and actively participating in six different projects that involve constructing new employee housing. We are also committed to maintaining and improving the existing buildings we manage. Sunnyside is almost complete and 30 households will have a new home. Demolition will commence this winter at the voodoo lot in preparation for construction in the spring. Requests for proposal are imminent for two parcels of land in town known as Canyonland and the Tower House, as well as the reconstruction of the F building at Shandoka. The Lot L Feasibility Plan was approved and will incorporate housing as part of a larger project once the town council is ready to contemplate activity in that area. The Climate Action Plan, or CAP, was adopted after more than a year of hard work. Attending to implementation of the strategies within the CAP will need to be consistent and swift to meet the aggressive goals we have advanced. We are already making strides. We saw the passage of an ordinance which will help to limit excess plastics in our waste stream. We have begun exploring an EV readiness plan which will assist us in electrifying our transportation system and increasing our EV charging capabilities. We will give attention to the content of this climate action plan in literally every decision we make going forward. Our new skate park was completed and was being vigorously used before the grand opening even occurred. Thank you to the individuals and teams who helped form the basis of what should be built to truly serve the needs of our skaters. It was indeed a grand opening with some local Olympians present for the celebration. Later in today's agenda, we will be considering adoption of our community vision plan. This document, which expresses significant community input from an eight month process, will be an invaluable tool as we resume the long awaited overhaul of our 2006 master plan Having this shared vision is a necessary guide to establishing a new comprehensive plan, which will ultimately be the foundation for thoughtful growth in our Box Canyon. We are grateful to the hundreds of people, residents, visitors, community leaders, who participated in the evolution of this document. We have said farewell to many friends and family this year. People who contributed deeply to our community. The best way for us to honor them is to move forward in a positive and productive way that preserves the home they loved. We have a lot of work to do in 2023. Let's find those commonalities communicate respectfully, and accomplish great things. Let's make them proud.
1: That was Mayor Delaney Young providing a State of the Town Address at the Telluride Town Council meeting this week. Locals may soon have a better chance of getting tickets for the hottest festivals in Telluride each summer. This week, town council discussed requiring a local ticket sale program for all major and medium festivals in town.
3: I think everyone understands that this is uh, an environment that the rest of the world wants to to get here and, and enjoy some of our concerts. Um, and that locals deserve at least a, a crack at it um, rather than be at the back of the line, given that, it, you know, basically They're giving up their public lands uh, to ensure that these events happen.
1: That's Scott Robson, Telluride Town Manager.
3: Within those major and medium special events, that includes mountain film, bluegrass, uh, jazz, uh, Telluride film, uh, Imogene uh, trail run, and then blues and brews.
1: Robson makes sure to note a local ticket program would not be a discount, simply an opportunity for locals to buy tickets. He says after discussing with those festivals, the majority already provide some sort of local ticket program or don't sell out, allowing plenty of opportunity for locals to get tickets. While he says the festivals are in general comfortable with including a local ticket program, there are some challenges.
3: As you might imagine, uh, a A range of really no challenges for some events um, which uh, aren't really stressed with the sale um sellout kind of issues that that uh bluegrass and some of the others do um, you know when you when you do look at uh bluegrass of course scalping is is an issue that that a lot of the bigger events face frankly with uh, with the local tickets that are sold and uh, and that's a challenging f- one for for anyone to wrap their arms around
1: others share concern about geolocating ticket buyers for festivals that have fully online ticket sales or finding a location to potentially sell tickets in person Robson and parks and Recreation director Stephanie jaK, recommend leaving the nuances of a local ticket sale program to the contract level, with the town manager's office and the Parks and Recreation Department identifying what is suitable for each festival. Here's J.K. They would like some flexibility in how it's developed based on what their uh, ticket structure is and um,
4: what their timelines and what their challenges are, which is why we're suggesting it be handled during the contract. And how that could work is that they submit a plan, Similar to, we have a request that they mitigate sound and that they have to submit a plan of how they mitigate sound instead of us giving them specific mm-hmm. parameters that they need to do. So that's what can provide some flexibility and some accountability.
1: Still, Town Attorney Kevin Geiger would like to see a note of the local ticket program in the municipal code. Currently, a local ticket program is only required if a festival requests tickets above 11,500.
2: You have, it sounds like, friendly vendors now. But if you were to write the contract with a local ticket requirement and someone looks at our municipal code and it says the only time a local ticket option is required is when a promoter is asking from 11.5 to 12, what authority do you have, town? Now, I think we could still justify it, but I would still prefer some amendments to the municipal code that specifically calls out local ticket programs separate from that 11.5 to 12. Now, it could be very simple. It could just say, all events shall incorporate a local ticket program into their approved contract by the town, which shall be approved by the town manager. Something just
1: keeping it very broad. Council was supportive to have a local ticket program negotiated on a contract basis. And Jaquay notes there are some areas that could be standardized,
4: which would be what is a local and how and what's the ticket limit per purchaser?
1: Council didn't discuss the number of tickets an individual could purchase, but did spend time discussing what the definition of a local is in this instance. Here's Telluride Mayor Delaney Young.
4: Because people who work here six days a week but <laughs> commute in from Montrose consider themselves locals. In the past, when we've had locals ticket sales, you've got to live, I believe, within San Miguel County.
1: For Council Member Lars Carlson, he looks to who is or is not able to use their local parks.
2: Mm-hmm. If you're talking about locals, the people from Ridgeway or Rico are not getting put, displaced from the parks. They still have access to the their reservoir or their parks, and so I don't I don't consider them local.
3: local.
1: But that raises the question of Norwood Robson again, followed by Council Member Geneva Shanet
3: Our folks aren't being displaced from their park uh, in Norwood, for example, yet they have been included in the locals. Uh, So again, to to me, this is a a challenging one when we do anything other than stay within the town limits of Telluride.
4: We have to draw the line somewhere and we can think of a thousand examples (laughs) of someone who deserves to be within the boundaries, but
1: isn't. Some council members floated the idea of cutting the local tickets off at the R1 School District. Jaque says she will talk to event organizers about the options of making local the R1 School District or San Miguel County. In the end, council directed staff to continue conversations with festival organizers and add contract language regarding a local ticket program for 2023. Council plans to discuss adding language in the Municipal Code, requiring a local ticket program for large events into the future.
0: They've already hit close to home this season with events in Ophir as well as Telluride proper. And state officials are reporting that avalanche danger will continue through the MLK Day weekend and further into the winter season. Ethan Green, director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, or CAIC, says the state has seen more frequent, and larger, avalanches this year than in years past. CAIC reports that four Coloradans have died in avalanche events since December 28, 2022. With more snow forecast over the weekend, the elevated level of danger will continue. There are ways to recreate safely in the backcountry for those with proper tools and knowledge. Avalanche forecasts, resources, and information can be found at colorado.gov avalanche. And locally, recreators of any kind can attend the Telluride Backcountry Chats at the Wilkinson Library to meet backcountry skiers and discuss avalanche safety and preparedness. The January installment of the series will take place on Thursday the 12th at 6 p.m. in the Library Program Room, The topic this month is Local Focus, Analyzing Our Backcountry Behaviors. For full event details, visit telluridelibrary.org.
1: This weekend brings musical acts both homegrown and from out of town to stages near you. At Club Red in Mountain Village, the Telluride-based and -and up-and-coming Americana star Emily Scott Robinson will be performing with local band Lady on Saturday, January 14th. Doors at 7.30 for an 8 o'clock show. Tickets are available at clubredtelluride.com. Down in Telluride, the Sheridan Opera House will host Denver-based band and local favorite, The Motet, on Friday, January 13th. Then on Saturday, the stage is handed over to electronic dance artists Michelle Minert and Late Night Radio. The shows start at 9 p.m. with doors at 8. Visit SheridanOperaHouse.com for tickets.
0: Governor Jared Polis was inaugurated on Tuesday, KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods was at the ceremony. A cannon at the state house fired blanks to mark the start of Governor Polis'
2: second term. In his speech, Polis said he will continue the work he started in his first term, including lowering Colorado's cost of living. We're gonna keep using every tool we have to help save Coloradans money. That means lower taxes, lower transportation costs, lower medical bills lower business fees, and of course, lower housing costs. He also said he'll work to move the state to 100% renewable
0: energy by 2040. Lieutenant Governor Diane Primavera, Secretary of State Jenna
2: Griswold, Treasurer Dave Young, and Attorney General Phil Weiser were also sworn in. Current and former elected officials attended the ceremony, along with leaders of Colorado's two Native American
0: tribes. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol.
1: Denver City Council unanimously passed a new ordinance on Monday to make it easier for workers to recover stolen wages. The Colorado Fiscal Institute estimates wage theft in Colorado has hit a record high, with $730 million in payments kept from workers each year. KGNU's Shannon Young spoke with Pamela Resendez Trujillo, executive director of Colorado Jobs with Justice, who said labor organizers have been trying to get these protections passed for years.
5: We have been working on this for almost three years we started it with a different perspective. We wanted to address the wage theft that happens in the construction industry, and we wanted to do a wage bond. But however, through conversations, through coalition meetings, we decided to expand that protection to all workers. And from the wage bond, we were able to co-create the wage theft ordinance. And what that ordinance will do is that it will empower Denver labor to investigate wage theft. And it will allow victims of wage theft to also recuperate unpaid wages, regardless of the amount that they are owed. What's the
6: significance of having a new administrative pathway for recovering wages rather than having to go through the courts, which had been the the prior way of doing this?
5: Yeah, what this ordinance will do is that it will make it more accessible for workers to actually be able to recuperate those wages. And so workers are now going to be able to go to the uh, Denver Auditor's Office, file a complaint regardless of the amount, and be able to recuperate those wages without having to have a lengthy court process. We know a lot of workers aren't able to hire a lawyer, have the time to chase money that they are owed, as well as a lot of the workers that often experience a lot of the wage theft are workers of color, are are women, are folks that are only monolingual speakers that don't speak necessarily English, and um, undocumented workers.
6: Can you list the various forms that wage theft can take?
5: Yeah, wage theft can take not only in the withholding of the wages that you were either promised or are actually owed. But wage theft also can occur when there's misclassification um, of your status of worker, uh, as well as when you are forced to work overtime and you don't get overtime pay, or when you're forced to work off the clock, or when you're even not giving your, um, your lunch break.
6: According to the Colorado Fiscal Institute, employers steal about $730 million from Colorado workers each year. Why has it gotten so out of hand? This is something that's increasingly gone up in the past few years.
5: So the reason why I I feel it happens is because the industry, um, not only Folks in the construction industry, but various industries have gotten away with this being normalized, uh, telling workers not to have their lunch, telling workers that they won't get paid overtime or having them work off the clock. And one of the main issues and one of the benefits of this ordinance is that now we'll be able to have the data that the Denver Auditor's Office collects with regards to how many wage theft cases they are going after. Before, there's really, there was no, there's no real mechanism to track what a problem this was in the city of Denver. And with this ordinance, we'll be able to obtain that data. But not only that, we'll be able to ensure that the worker is able to recuperate those wages and that someone is being held accountable.
6: Finally, in other cities outside of Denver, across Colorado, what options do workers have if their employer decides to not pay them or to short their paychecks?
5: Outside of the city of Denver, I would say they can still go through the CDLE process, but that does not necessarily mean that there's going to be a guaranteed monetary amount that it's actually going to be given back. I think one of the best things that workers are doing is that they're organizing, they're coming together with their co-workers who may have experienced that same issue, are doing either direct action on that employer or are going to worker centers or um, organizations like Towards Justice that will support you in ensuring to get you to recuperate those wages if you are able to fill out an intake form and if you meet the qualifications that they need in order to proceed with supporting a worker.
6: That was Colorado Jobs with Justice Executive Director Pamela Resendiz Trujano. For KGNU and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Shannon Young.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the Western San Juans calls for clearing skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Thursday calls for sun with a high near 40, and Thursday night will remain mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. Friday is forecast to be sunny again with a high near 50, and Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a low near 30 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, January 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.